Up next on NHL Fantasy on Ice, Rob, Pete, and Davey run through player point projections, opinions on Crosby, Carlson, and Marner, and thoughts from the master on how the goalies stack up. Strap in, over, under, fact fiction, yay, nay. The banter starts now. What's good, everybody? Pete Jensen, Rob Reese, Davey Satriano in the house to talk fantasy point and goalie win projections for the 2019-20 season. What's going on, guys? Davey, good to be back with you. What's going on, my man? You know how much I love projections, and I'm going to really need to use this help from you guys because, Rob, we did a draft the other day, and mm-hmm. God, my team was terrible. I'm not going to lie. It was one of the <laughs> worst teams I've ever seen in fantasy hockey. I saw Davey by the uh, water cooler after this draft. It looked like he had just lost <laughs> an immediate family member. He was that solemn. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I said, what is wrong, Davey? He said, I just had a bad draft. I had a bad draft. It was not good. So let's today I need this help more than anything. Well, to spin this to a positive note, I think we can all agree. We'll give ourselves a little clap for 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. There we go, guys. Nice job so far this summer. We're talking a lot about points today, but we collectively hit 100 as a group. That's right. We certainly did. Now, 100 points. Well, first off, we need to go on the road to 200 reviews. We're not stopping at 100. Let's push for the big 200. Keep pushing, boys. Keep pushing. Rate and review R&R. Let's go, audience. R&R. It's critical to the success of NHL Fantasy on Ice. R&R. So, Connor McDavid, the obvious choice atop this list. We're even with all the concerns, we got him at 106. We got four guys over 100. And then I think the big debate here starts. There are a lot of guys with 100-plus point capability. Sidney Crosby, another year older, some more team concerns for the Pittsburgh Penguins, over under 100 points for Sid the Kid. I'm going to take under. And just first things first, I think the first five players in every fantasy draft is pretty set in stone. I've never been in a mock where it's not McDavid, Kucherov, McKinnon, Kane, and then fill in the blank. So for Crosby, he is a player that after the five hole I would consider, but for points wise, mm, I think this Penguins team might take a little step back offensively during the regular season, leading to me to believe he'll be under 97. Not only do I think he'll be under 97, I don't even think he's going to be in the top 10 scores this year. I mean, if you look at wow. the list, I think Marchand's going to score more. Pasternak possibly. I think Barkov gets 100 points easy this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Crosby is number 11, which is crazy, but I don't see him getting 100. He might not even crack 90. Well, I don't know. you're coming out of the gate so hot that my brain can't even <laughs> comprehend some of the things you're saying. <laughs> I think Barkov, it's, it's worth noting that he is by far the best player on the Florida Panthers, and if he got you 96 last year, another thing a lot of people don't remember about Barkov and Huberto last year they weren't playing frequently together the first month or two of the season when the Panthers stumbled out of the gate they went red hot the rest of the way and they both almost scored 100 points so you think about that translate that to a full season and that gets very interesting both have a chance yeah we know Quenville when he was coaching in the Blackhawks he was he would change his lines up all the time but I think in Florida he's got those two guys they got to play all season together You'd think so, Davey, but I don't know. I would still probably draft him as standalones. I don't know if I would go in and on a full stack with the Panthers just because they're sort of an unproven commodity. A lot of new bodies in that team. Sometimes it takes a while to get adjusted. However, Mitch Marner's a guy in the 90s range that I truly do think has triple-digit potential. He just signed a big deal in Toronto, and he's going to prove it this year. 
And there's a little competition going here. Let's be honest with the Toronto Maple Leafs. These guys are all in the running for the captain. They're all in the running for highest paid player. They're all in the top seven in the league. And you bet that they're all in the running for 100 points. And they're probably all thinking about it. Marner, Tavares, and Matthews. Is there a bigger fan than Mitch Marner than Robbie Reese? Loves Mitch Marner. <laughs> I'm a Loves Mitch big Marner. Big Mitch Marner guy. Any guy that starts with the same initial, ends with the same initial, MM. I'm all about those type of players. <laughs> Bob Bender, BB. BB, yeah, our producer, Bobby Bender. There you go. Mickey Mantle. Rob Reese. Barry Bonds. Well, anyway, we think uh, yeah, we think big things for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's good to see Marner all signed, sealed, delivered. He's about to deliver here uh, when the season gets going here. But one team in the same division. So we were, we're prepping now for our NHL Network Fantasy Special, which airs next week. One really good note that I found that applies to this type of conversation for points-only leagues. David Posternak last year tied for first in points per 60, and third in the NHL in goals per 60. So this is a guy that you got to jump all over uh, in the 8 to 12 range in your drafts. I think I've had him every year that he's been in the NHL, and every year he seems to surprise me when I think, you know, I'm going to draft him, maybe he'll have some downs. But besides the injury last year, the freak injury, I mean, he's been good, he's been healthy. He, he obviously plays with two of the, the greats. Their line is pretty awesome, Bergeron, Marchand. But Pasternak is a guy that – he does he does it all for me the power play the points plus you know as we talked earlier he's not a center so he's one of those guys mm-hmm. where you want to draft higher because yep. he's not going to slip so. i think he moves into my favorite bruin for fantasy category now i am a big marshan guy if i can get him in the top 10 but Pasternak, i think i just view with a little bit of a higher ceiling do we agree there yeah definitely is there any concern about patrice bergeron's nagging groin injury how much hockey the Bruins have played over the past calendar year and just uh, some of the injury concerns with that line. I don't think there is, especially because when you look at Pasternak's numbers in particular, I think he's like a point per game in the playoffs, the la- the two like deep runs the Bruins yeah, have yeah. had. So I there's no concerns for me as far as him. Bergeron there are, but I think even if you know he misses some time, yeah, it'll affect Pasternak, but I still think he's a top 10. He's a t- He should be a top 10 draft. So moving down to players that we projected in the 80 range, we have Claude Giroux, which Pete pointed out to me yesterday. is actually the only player in fantasy hockey going in with try eligibility, meaning he has center, left wing, right wing. We projected him for 89 points. I reached for him in the mock draft 2.0 at number 20. I think that's fair. I think you have some concerns, Rob, about the Flyers, about Giroux. But I like the fact that he's moving back to left wing. They have three strong centers, plus him who can take face-offs. But they got Nolan Patrick, Kevin Hayes, his line mate Sean Couturier. Strong players. Sean Couturier is another one. 76 points each of the past two seasons. You know, for me, the trial eligibility for Giroux is just like an added bonus because yeah. – I think he can get back to 100 points where he was a few years ago when he was just missed out or, or either was a hard trophy finalist or just missed out. But the team is obviously better this year. I think 89 is very low projected for him. I know this is a collaborative effort, so we have to come to an agreement. But, I, you know, Pete and I were pretty much he's going to go higher than 89, and I think he's a 100-point guy. Wow, I really disagree with that. I, d- I don't <laughs> know if this is 2011 or where we're thinking here, boys, but 100 points for Claude Drew, and he's a great player. But that team is not about production during the regular season anymore. It's all about the postseason for the Flyers. Teams like that that have the coaching changes, that have new bodies in there. And let me just say this, Kevin Hayes, 
I, I don't think is the missing ingredient for that team to put him over the top. That would be my concern for Claude Giroux. I think he will have a nice season. I love the try eligibility in fantasy. I love to mix and match, but I would not reach for a player like that. And they got Travis Konechny signed, so that's probably going to be the top line. Maybe Kevin Hayes on line two with JVR and Voracek. Voracek has a nice point ceiling when you look at what he did. I think two years ago he was in the 80s. Uh, nobody's really talking about him all offseason. I just think one note here, too, the Metro division in general, there's a lot of trendy teams a la the New York Rangers the New Jersey Devils come to mind right off the top. I don't think the Islanders are as bad as everybody's trying to make them out to be this season. That's where I would also double down my concerns for Claude Giroux and the Flyers. What do you think of Matthew Barzell, speaking of the Islanders? 70 points, that puts him right in the same range as Patrick Laine, Jamie Benn. Looking at it right here in front of me, I would think that Matthew Barzell could and should score more points than those two players uh, who are category specialists or coverage guys. Barzell is offense. He dropped 85 as a rookie, came down last year. Thoughts on Barzell? You know, last year he came down, we can say, partly because of the defensive system, maybe partly because he was trying to do too much with Tavares having left, so he thought he had some added responsibility and whatnot. But I think 70 points is probably on the low end for him, but it wouldn't be surprising if that's about what he gets just because, as we said, the he he wants to win now. They went to the second round of the playoffs. He knows he might have to sacrifice some offense for defense. So it might be hard for him to get back to where he was the rookie when he won the Calder Trophy. But mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that will get 70-75 on that team. I'm with Davey. I think 75 is a good number for Barzell. And I did see, I read a column recently that said that Barry Trotz wants him to kill penalties this year too. So I'm not sure. And I this is one thing. I do think he could tr- contribute shorthand points this year. He's so fast. He's going to get some good breakaways. So Michael Grabner, watch out. Your shorthand goals record is probably in jeopardy. Got to tell our friend John Isner that because he's in that shorthanded <laughs> goals league. So he'll like that. Yeah, Barzell's a really interesting one. Uh, and he's a, in a contract year, potential 2020 restricted free agent. One big development on the position front uh, from the past few days is Gabriel Landeskog, a guy who plays most often with McKinnon and Rantanen, who still in RFA we should note but I'm not too worried about that one so Gabriel Landeskog gains center eligibility because he takes a good amount of face-offs so now dual eligible Landy we have him for 74 points over under 74 for Landy I think I'm gonna go over and I'll tell you why because last season I covered the Avalanche playoff series and just talking to this guy he was so upset with how he played he Mm. wasn't bad but he felt he had so much more to give you know they took it to seven he I think he had what eight points in whatever 14 games and after every game he was just so hard on himself like he has something to prove and I think this year he's going to be 80 or 80 plus it's only the 700th time Davies mentioned that he covered the avalanche series by the way in last year's playoffs just for the record <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping track of that we're very proud of you Dave you did a great job out west thank you so much for your great service but (laughs) Landeskog I don't know you know 74 points you can probably pen him in for that he's a type of player where I agree with you Dave he does have a lot more to offer but I just don't think he ever does so Landeskog though with the dual eligibility you get the hits you get the goals you get him cleaning up all McKinnon's shot totals where he was first in the NHL with 4.45 shots per game last year. Nice little stat that I memorized. Um, so Landis, yeah, you're getting value there, but I don't know. I don't think his ceiling is that high. Yeah, he was. I talked to him at the All-Star game, and he... 
he he knew Nathan McKinnon's point total from two years ago. This guy is extremely intelligent. I actually was talking to Mike Kelly about it too. He he had the same observation about Landeskog. So he's going to do all the little things to up his point total. And keep in mind, this is also a safe estimate for all of our point projections. Uh, guys could be higher or lower. And that's the 545th time Peters mentioned <laughs> that he was at the All-Star game. Move okay, ahead. <laughs> so moving ahead here, we don't need to acknowledge any of that. Were you at the NHL draft, Rob? I I'm not even going to talk about it. <laughs> Kyle Connor, we have for 69 points. Now, Winnipeg has been a team where there's been a lot of things circulating. Maybe not the best publicity there. Yeah. Are, are we all officially worried about the Winnipeg Jets? I was worried at the beginning of the summer. I was thinking about picking them to miss the playoffs, and now I'm definitely going to pick them to miss the playoffs. I mean, it's just all the things going in the wrong direction. Line A and Connor still on sign. They might trade Line A. Bufflin is contemplating maybe retiring, which is uh, not too surprising given his age and injury history. Uh, but I just look at this whole team a little bit differently. I know they're top-heavy. Their top line is ex- excellent. But um, just worries across the board for me with Winnipeg. But doesn't someone have to score the goals there, Davey? Someone does, but the question is, A, who's it going to be? And also, mm. you, look mm. at, you look at it this way. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going from a goalie perspective because Hellebuck was a Vezina finalist two years ago, and last year he was not good at all. Mm. How bad is he going to be this year if, mm. if they have all these problems and if line is not there and Connor and him aren't assigned? I mean, this is – this is not a good situation for the goalie master. So he went from lofty, lofty, like 40 wins to 34. Now we have him projected for 32, I believe. And we might dip that total <laughs> another win or two uh, just because the, also the defensive losses. We're talking mm-hmm. about Bufflin. I mean, this is really uh, dire straits that we're concerned about Bufflin. We were concerned about him, him being injured after they lost Tyler Myers and Jacob Truba. Now they're down to one man. Maybe that helps the value of at least Morrissey. Okay, let's reel it in here just a little bit, boys. There are still going to be goals to be had in Winnipeg. We're talking about Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, uh, Kyle Connor, who's been a prolific 30-goal scorer pretty much every time, every season he suits up. So I would still take Kyle Connor in drafts. I think 69 points is still a good conservative estimate for him because you have to keep in mind his lineup placement, number one, and their power play, regardless if Bufflin's in or not. I think Morrissey's very capable on the back end. Do you think that maybe they split up Shifley and Wheeler to spread out the scoring, uh, which could help the team at large very immensely if Nikolai Ehlers is playing with a Blake Wheeler on on the second line, regardless of what happens with Patrick Lyonet. I think splitting him up is, is in their best interest for sure. Get kind of more wealth around the whole lineup. Yep. Yeah, you can't have those two guys on the same line or you'll have three lines where who's going to score? You're going to have to trot out at least two other lines. So those guys can't play together if, if line is not there, Connor's not there. So I think that's best for them. I want to highlight one more player in the 60s range. It would be Kyle Palmieri, right wing for the New Jersey Devils. This is a player where in a couple mock drafts, I haven't even seen him selected until the 13th, 14th, or 15th round. I think people need to wake up, smell the coffee, and realize Kyle Palmieri is going to score a lot of power play goals this year. And the cool thing about Palmieri, so we can debate all we want. Is Simmons going to be on power play one or is Gusev? Is Hughes or is Heischer? you can bet 110% that Kyle Palmieri is going to be on the power play one with Taylor Hall and P.K. Subban. So that is amazing exposure for a guy that you can get so late in your draft. Palmieri's been on their power play for three or four years now. He and Hall have that good chemistry on the power play. Yeah, there's a lot of mouths to feed now, but I think he's the most consistent guy. You, you know where he is. You know what he does, especially on the power play. So I don't think, I think his spot is locked there. 
Speaking of power plays, how about Kevin LeBanc? We projected him for 59 points for the San Jose Sharks. Another name in fantasy that you cannot pass up on this year. He had a full-time power play one spot last year, and probably if you watch the Sharks play, if you stayed up late enough on the East Coast, he was the best player on their power play hands down. And he's another one that is definitely going to be on the power play one. You can debate all you want, whether it's going to be Evander Kane or Timo Meyer or somebody else taking over Joe Thornton. Uh, on the power play one, is it going to be Carlson or Burns on a shift-to-shift basis? Doesn't matter. Every single time that one of those two guys hits the ice, you know, with Couture and Hurdle, LeBanc is going to be there feasting on the opposition, putting home prime power play points uh, to help you win your matchup in that category. I do like LeBanc, but I think Hurdle is going to be the new Pavelski. He's, he's the guy that's going to be in front of the net trying to tip pucks, creating havoc. So I mm-hmm. think his points will go up more than LeBanc's, but I think they're both there on that. On I the honestly, I'll challenge you on that, Davey, because I think we saw close to Hurdle's ceiling last year. He had a phenomenal year, and his 78-point ceiling is very good. But I think Kevin LeBanc has more room to grow, more points to earn. And Hurdle took it a next step forward in the playoffs, really impressed all of us. And it will be interesting to see which direction he goes from here. Does he go even higher, or does he start to regress back to uh, the injury-prone player that we came to know in previous seasons in his career? One question about Pavelski and the loss of him for the Sharks. I think it's going to hurt more than people believe. Do you think the same? Mm, I'm going to say no. That's my gut talking. I think that Pavelski, he is a big time locker room guy. You know, the phrase mm-hmm. Brooks Horpik was the same thing in D.C., but you know, when they when those players go away, I don't know if you notice a huge impact. Obviously, Pavelski was very good on the power play, but we're talking about a Sharks team now that has Eric Carlson, contract situation, locked and loaded, ready to go, injury concerns behind him. That is a player, mind you, that since 2013-14, Dave, pay attention to this one, .89 points per game leads all defensemen. That is more than a ton of forwards in the National Hockey League. Yeah, that's very true, but I think they'll miss him for one reason, and that is if you see the way they played last year without him as opposed to when they played with him, it was a complete, you know, you have to play differently, and other teams will prepare differently knowing he's not there. But like you said, there's a lot of guys in that locker room who are leaders. They have a lot of veterans, so they'll miss him. I think they'll, I think you'll see it early on, but as the season goes on. Veteran leadership is not a category in fantasy hockey. The question was posed, will they miss him? <laughs> yes, they'll miss him. Okay, well, th- sure, yes, he's a nice guy. They'll miss him in the locker room, but my fantasy lineup isn't going to suffer. I just worry a little bit about the team because he brings face-offs, he brings net front presence, he brings leadership, he brings power play uh, productivity. He was their leading goal scorer last year with 38. 38 goals. So just like keep the list going, and all of a sudden, if the injuries hit, if Martin Jones doesn't get any better, that team just uh, could turn in the wrong direction. One, what, no, the Sharks are not turning in the wrong direction. They're, they have a great coach, they have great management. Eric Carlson, we're going back to Eric Carlson again, his shooting percentage was the lowest of his career last year. He, if that goes back up to what it normally is he's going to have 10 15 goals that makes all the difference in the world off that point I actually was looking at Brent Burns like over the past five years his past two years his shooting percentage has been down as well so uh, the top two defensemen in the NHL from a fantasy standpoint also have room to grow in the shooting percentage it includes Burns okay 
let's get off the sharks here. Let's move down a little bit further on the list. All right, a couple Robbie. guys, okay, a couple. Hold Rob's getting triggered. Rob's getting triggered. <laughs> no, a couple guys that could make the difference in your lineup. We have down in the low fifties Rangers, Yanni Gord for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Pavel Buchnevich. Okay, we're gonna pass on Gord. <laughs> Pavel Buchnevich of the New York Rangers, who. By the way, David Quinn said he's going to start the year on the top line with Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin. That's a good one. You know, that's not how they started yesterday's game, and everyone read into uh, Kako was on the top line. And David Quinn said, I have no reason not to put this guy here. It's his first game, blah, blah, blah. But you're right. Buchnevich with those two guys, he can get 60 points or so if, if he plays. We know he's, you know, last year he was a healthy scratch sometimes. But if this guy can fight through whatever you're – you know, if he can solve the issues and do what the coaches want him to do, he's going to be a great a great pickup. Don't we say that every year though about this player in particular? Yeah, Buchnevich is a guy that was has been on our sleeper list for a few years now. He's on your deep sli- sleeper list, mm-hmm. so he's been downgraded. He's, he's in, been demoted <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. ADP and where you should consider this player. But I think uh, next year he's going to be sleeping in Motel Six. <laughs> whoa, whoa, okay, <laughs> okay, Maybe another off the rails comment by Davey today. Certainly. Buchnevich, if he's on power play one and top line with Panarin, who left the game in the preseason with a minor injury, hopefully he's okay. But that line has an enormous ceiling uh, now and moving forward. And then the swing down into the 40s range, we have Andre Palat, left wing for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now everything in preseason suggests that he's going to get that top power play spot. Do you think that means that that 49 points that we projected him could be upwards of maybe 55 to 60? He's an interesting one because he's been better at even strength than on the power play. He plays a scarce left wing position. Uh, He's always in the top six when he's healthy, but he's not healthy Mm -hmm. a lot of the time too. Also covers hits if your league counts that. So keep an eye on that for Palat. I would love to see Palat drop 60 points. I would just be inclined to take the under based on what I've seen from him over the past five years or so. It's interesting who we also have projected to get 49 points would be Tyler Johnson. We know those Mm -hmm. two guys a few years ago, not only playing on the same line, but how well they feed off each other and stuff like that. But Palat, both of them have, you know, severely in the last couple of years, just their value has plummeted. But I think Palat has more to gain this year. And I think his 50 points is what I'd say. If, If I got 50 points out of him, I would be I would be happy. I would be too. And I think just to put a bow on that, any one of those Tampa guys, whether it's Gord, Palat, Johnson, any one of those guys in a late round is always going to deliver for that's probably a non drop situation for each three of those guys. Two other guys that you can get in the late rounds that we're not familiar seeing these guys so late in drafts. Anze Kopitar, Ryan Getzlaff. Do you guys like one more than the other? They're both uh, getting up there in age but have high point capability. I like Kopitar better, which probably isn't a surprise to you guys because he's been one of my favorite fantasy players for a decade. So consistent, but just the Kings—they have—they seem to have mm. nothing going. But then again, what do the Ducks really have that gets left's gonna, you know, fare better? So I think Kopitar is. Uh, if I had to choose one, he's who I would take. Okay, Davey, how long are we going to take to make that choice? I mean, I thought it would be easy considering you have an Anze Kopitar poster on your ceiling above <laughs> your bed, but that's all right. And for me, I'm going to steer the ship to the Ryan Getzlaff side mm-hmm. of that conversation. He hits. He does every one of those little categories he that does, you want yeah. in a player. And the Ducks, Dave, I'll counter again here with you today. It seems like you and I are getting into a little beef on the mm-hmm. show, but the Ducks have a lot of youth coming up in their lineup. And I think older players 
in general, like Ryan Getzloff, who has been around the block a couple of times. I think the youth infusion there can really invigorate a player like that that's on the downtrend in his career. Granted, I'm not saying draft this player as your number two center in fantasy hockey, but I do think we could be pleasantly surprised by Ryan Getzloff this season. Ryan Getzloff is always close to a point per game when he's healthy. That's been another player plagued by injuries in recent years. But yeah, slide him in with Max Comtois, who could do enormous damage. Also a guy who hits. So that's a little physical line with offensive capability that absolutely nobody's talking about right now because everybody seems so down on the Ducks. Yeah, Comtois is a guy, I actually think he's going to be a Rookie of the Year finalist, which you might say, oh, well, we got we got Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes, Capo. We got a lot of guys. But yep. nine, nine points or seven points in 10 games. He looked good when he was up here. He had an injury. He was bouncing around. But this year, he's going to make the team. He's on that top line. I think he's a he's a great sleeper I think because no, no one's really talking about it I agree he's a great deep sleeper and I've been getting chirped on Twitter about that player in particular because I did say that he would be in a top six role I, I really I'm not sure what, what the, the comprehension is issue here, is I mean, there but there's no one else that I would pencil in the top six for the Ducks I have a question for you Rob because mm-hmm. I know you're high on the Canadians I noticed a guy in Jonathan Drouin who earlier in his career was very power play dependent, especially when he was with the Lightning. Mm-hmm. He improved quite a bit in even strength, and we have him penciled in in the mid-50s. What are your thoughts on Druin's point total and where it'll be uh, if the Habs do make the playoffs? It's going to be higher, and I saw that he was feeding Shea Weber one tees in the preseason on the power play, and with Shea Weber healthy, now that's a big if, I guess, for him in this point in his career. But if he is healthy, that is going to positively impact Druin, who you mentioned. And even strength took a big step last year. But for Claude Julien, he's going to give this player every opportunity to succeed. We could be looking at 18, 19, 20 minutes for the forward per night. That could mean big things. Let's not forget what he did in the queue when he was with McKinnon. Big things coming for Druin this season. Any thoughts on Drew N, or are you avoiding the Canadians uh, in your fantasy drafts? Uh, I might go for Carey Price, but other mm. than that, I don't really not not too many appeasing players in my opinion. Max Domi, Brandon Gallagher, Thomas Tatar, Jesperi Kokaniemi. Where do we? I mean, those guys aren't aren't fantasy relevant. Don't forget about Claude Julien too. I draft him. Yeah, tra- Claude Julien as your fantasy coach. I'm going to name my team <laughs> the Claude Juliens this year. So get that going before it's too late. <laughs> We'll see what happens with the Canadians. I, I'm not crazy high on them, but you can't dispute the value of a Gallagher for his category coverage and his goal scoring. And, of course, Domi, 70-plus points. That's no slouch. Now, to switch gears and go with the defenseman position here, I think we can all agree the top two, Brent Burns for 80 points, Eric Carlson for 73. Probably not much to debate there. But dropping down a level to the 60s, we have Morgan Riley for 60, Roman Yossi for 61, Gio for 62. Any of these guys in the 60s that catch your eye more than another? The challenge here is to project who is going to be the third guy or the fourth guy who eclipses 70 points. Last year it was Giordano, who's probably going to come down. He's another year older. Just regression is obvious there. And then Morgan Riley because of the addition of Tyson Barry. So looking at this next list, a lot of it is injury dependent. The more I look into Roman Yossi, who's in a contract year, he really excites me. He had 56 points last year in a season where P.K. Subban was also there and had played 60-plus games. Subban's gone, so it's going to be all Yossi on power play one all season long. I think his ceiling could be the highest that we've seen yet from him. Yossi would be my guy who could be like the third scorer mm-hmm. behind him, Victor Hedman. And if I had to do a top five... You might think this is crazy, but Eric Gustafson, he had like 60 points last year. Mm-hmm. And we know the Blackhawks, they've improved. We know how 
their their how their defense well him on the power play getting feeding passes to Kane he can get 65 points I think and Gustafson only had 18 on the power play which is hard to believe considering they were one of the best units in the entire NHL over the second half of the season so give them Strom for a full season that five-man unit definitely has a chance at 70 uh maybe an outside chance but it's a reality before we try and just hit on the upside i i would like to say it's probably smarter to go with a john klingberg a john carlson or a victor hedman even a chris letang here just Mm -hmm. proven guys year in and year out where their spot is not in jeopardy i know speaking for eric gustafson i like the player a lot but watch out for adam boquist there who's been tearing it up in the preseason looking like a forward out there that's a player Mm -hmm. where if gustafson was banged up for a game or two and boquist got the first power play spot He's not losing it. Yeah, that's uh, you. You don't usually lose your spot because of injury, but that's a case where it could definitely happen. And especially with Gustafson being a UFA next year, you're probably not going to be able to bring a guy like that back. I mean, let's be honest. But whereas a headman, I mean, if he's banged up for ten games, Sergachev is not going to capture the first power play spot when you right. have a guy like Victor Hedman on your blue line. The same thing with John Carlson. Who's going to step up and take the spot from him? Nobody. So those are the guys where if I don't have my number one defenseman locked and loaded, I need a John Carlson. I need a Victor Hedman. I need a Chris Letang, even with the injury concerns. So much offense to go around with the Maple Leafs. Is there any chance... Even if it's a prayer that both Riley and Barry get 70-plus points a la Carlson and Burns, is there a shot in the world that that could happen? There is zero chance that that will happen. Zero. I mean, it's hard enough with Matthews, Marner, and Tavares to get those guys, you know, 90 points each. Now you have these two guys who... We know what Barry did in Colorado, but I think it's going to be tough for him here if you got Riley with his surprise last year. So 70 points for each of them, there's no chance. I'll just throw out a hypothetical scenario here and be contrarian. What if, with these forwards and their big contracts, they come down a little bit production-wise in the regular season and the production goes to their back end? I mean, it's is 70-plus points for each of those players possible? Yes, but the percent is low. Now, granted, if that does happen in some weird event, I could see it. It wouldn't shock me to see Tyson Berry with a 7-0 and a Morgan Riley with a 7-0 next to their name at the end of the season. It wouldn't shock me either, especially, I mean, there is a real chance that they could play together at even strength and on power play one. I mean, what if Nylander is not producing at, on the power play like he should be? They don't have Kadri anymore. I mean, you have to start thinking about the two-man set on the power play. Now, one of the things that jumps out in this next range in the 50s here is that Thomas Shabbat is projected for 54 points, and so is Rasmus Dahlin of the Buffalo Sabres. Dahlin, obviously we know his upside is probably way more than 54 points, but I think it is with Shabbat too. Even with the concerns in Ottawa with the forward group there, I think Shabbat's a 60-point guy. Shabbat will probably score more points than Dahlin unless Ristolainen is traded, but yeah, that's a great debate. Two young defensemen. I watched Darlene the other day in person. He was whipping it around with uh, with Skinner and Eichel on the power play one. Just a preseason game. But, I mean, really impressive skating ability. That guy turns corners like a few defensemen in the entire NHL, in my opinion. So, uh, interesting debate. But I would lean Shabbat just because he's going to be the lone wolf on that power play with Kachuk. I mean, probably... what high percentage of their goals this year are going to run through those two players. 
I would lean towards Shabbat also, but one thing's for sure. If you're taking either of these guys, throw a plus minus out the window because <laughs> they're not helping you there. Might burn you. Yeah. And how about Tory Krug for 52? This was a player last season that had 30 power play points in 69 games. I mean, I think his ceiling is probably 60-65 this year. It's also a contract year for him. Ooh. So that always adds a couple of notches. You know, we saw McAvoy and Carlo. They got paid, and he's going to have a good year this year. Shout out to Nick Alberga, contract year. Listen, a little pop form. Go listen to his podcast, Unmuzzled. It's pretty good. <laughs> Nick, we're looking forward to having you on the show again soon. But We know yeah. you're listening, obviously. <laughs> but back to reality here. We have uh, Tori Krug. Like we said, the thing I worry about, like I'm a big Klingberg fan, I'm a big Tori Krug fan, but you still have to have in the back of your mind the McAvoy, the Miro Haskinen. Just how those guys and their progression in their careers could potentially affect the player who's ranked higher than them. And Tory Krug is in great position to score 60 points in his contract year. But what if it turns more into like a turning the page sort of thing and maybe McAvoy sees more time on power play one? That could very well be, but I do think Tory Krug is the power play wizard there. So mm-hmm. McAvoy owners... Regardless if he's on the power play or not, you know what you're getting. He hits, he does everything, he covers categories, minus power play points, but you can get that with forwards. You can get that with other defensemen. What do you th- what do you guys think about stacking defensemen? I know you did it in one mock draft, Rob, where you took Kale McCarr, and then I think you got auto-drafted uh, <laughs> Sam Gerrard, but then we got to thinking about, uh, thinking about drafting two defensemen from the same team to shore up the power play one duties. You could do it with the Rangers, with Fox and Truba. You could do it here with some of these guys that we're talking about. To me, it's a very risky strategy for two reasons. One, if you have two guys and they have a two-game week, that's pretty tough. And yep. number two, if your team scores, if they score one goal in three games, you know that's two defensemen there that have done nothing for you. So it's a very risky strategy to have half, two of your four, let's say, mm-hmm. stacking. Forwards, it's a little different, but with defense, it's kind of, it's kind of very risky. I've definitely got a little lazy in that draft because I did. <laughs> I, I will admit candidly, I did set it to auto draft for a while. I kind of checked out mentally. But the thing with that, so this is, I think that's funny that it came up though because Kale McCarr is a player that, granted, it looks like he's going to take the first power play role. Mm-hmm. If for some reason he doesn't, it's Sam Girard that's going to get it. So that would probably be the only event that I would stack. Now it would be a bench stack. I would have Kale McCarr on my number, on my regular team, but then I would mm-hmm. have Sam Girard just waiting on the bench for any injury concern or power play concern that there might be out there. So you'd handcuff him. I would, say. yes, it would be a defenseman <laughs> handcuff goalie master. Right. <laughs> Sam Girard uh, has gotten glimpses on power play one over the years with the Predators and then the Colorado Avalanche. So I would be excited to see what that player could do if given that opportunity with uh, McKinnon and company. One thing I think it's it's crucial to throw out there, is Dustin Bufflin now a player that we are not drafting, or where do you guys fall on that side of the coin? I'm a big fan of this player for many, many years. He is, uh, if this is it for him, he is one of the most dynamic fantasy players uh, of this generation for his coverage. Remember for a while he was defenseman, right wing eligible. A lot of people uh, <laughs> wanted this guy on their team for many, many different reasons. The hits, the goals as a defenseman. We'll see. Hopefully he's back uh, in blue for the uh, Winnipeg Jets. But yeah, Dustin Bufflin, I'm shying away from him. Actually, before this news of him taking the personal leave, uh, we had dropped him outside the top 75 overall because of injury concerns, because of age, and all these neg- negative things with the Winnipeg Jets. I would take him, but you know, just let him slip a little bit because you don't want him as your 
second or probably third defenseman mm-hmm. just in case he doesn't play. But in the later rounds, if you're going for a depth center or something, yeah, why not pick him up? Mm-hmm. Well, he's still going to be drafted, I think, in close to 100% of leagues because there's always that one person, it's probably me, that's auto-drafting in the lobby. So he will <laughs> he will be selected. The Rob Gronkowski mm-hmm. thing. Exactly. And sticking with the Jets for one more moment here, Josh Morrissey, I've taken him in almost every mock draft I've done with all these concerns surrounding Bufflin and the Jets at large with their defense. He has a chance to capitalize on that. We are going to bump this guy up uh, to the mid-40s, I think, in our point projections as a result of all this. And just to quickly circle back to Shabbat here, he did sign a major deal. I forgot to say that earlier. So that could be good news for him too. I, I don't know if the deal kicks in this year or the next season. Regardless, whenever a player signs a contract, it's kind of a prove-it situation. So Shabbat probably has a little bit more glow on his name now. And hey, that's good news for Ottawa fans, right? A team that's lost Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, Matthew Shane, uh, for monetary reasons that they're shelling out top dollar for a player of Shabbat's caliber is a step in the right direction. And now I'd just like to throw out a name that I do think could make the difference in your fantasy lineup. Some of these defensemen in the 30-point range that we've projected could go up to 40-45. One of those guys is Jared Spurgeon. Speaking of contracts for the Minnesota Wild, he just signed a big deal out there. And regardless of if the team isn't good or not, Jared Spurgeon produces year in and year out. Their decor is still very good out there. If the forwards aren't getting the points, the D he certainly will. So take a flyer on Jared Spurgeon. Yeah, I got two. Colton Pareko's my first one. He's kind of un- mm. next to Alex Petrangelo. He's the guy. He'll play on the power play. He, I think he had 30-something last year. He'll get over 40. But a guy that really no one's talking about is Kevin Shattenkirk. I mean, his potential here <laughs> on the Lightning, He can. you, you can't see him oh getting 40 points if, no. he, if he somehow are is, you is on the power play or are just... You- by accident, he'll no, get 40 points. Both of those are big no's from Rob Reese. Number one about Colin Pareko, this is Vince Dunn's year. Vince Dunn is the guy that gets reps on the first power play. Colin Pareko is not getting reps on any power play. And then to go with Kevin Shattenkirk here, again, this is not 2011. Okay, this player has not been fantasy relevant. Last year was a drop after the first game of the season situation for Shattenkirk. It's going to be the same thing if you draft this player again this year. We're looking at Mikhail Sergachev, Ryan McDonough, players I'd much rather have than Kevin Shattenkirk. I, I think hope you get Shattenkirk in your auto draft just to prove, <laughs> just to prove you karma, wrong. Karma, karma. I think if uh, Shattenkirk is in the top four, the Lightning might have some more problems than we think but yeah my guy's Philip Ronick another guy along with Morrissey that I'm taking from my bench to round out my defense he excelled in the world championship he was great down the stretch if he's on power play one with Larkin Mantha Bertuzzi that's a great spot for that kid and if everyone has been listening which I know they have been you know who my sleeper is in the oh, in the, you man. know exactly who my sleeper is Let's I'm not even gonna mention material it. here uh, I know <laughs> I'm gonna be you know how many times I'm gonna mention Cody CC um, every morning I wake up in our group chat our producer sends us a picture of this restaurant called CC's in New York City it's it's toxic beautiful ravioli <laughs> by the way at CC's <laughs> so let's spin it forward goalie master who do you like to lead the league in wins at the goalie position who I think is going to lead the league in wins, I'm going with Sergei Bobrovsky just because I think he's going to be healthy, number one. And number two, he's probably going to play, I think, at the most starts of, of any goalie. The best goalie I still think is Bishop, but he can get hurt. He's not going to lead the league in wins. Bobrovsky's is my pick. Vasilevsky, anyone? Right? Mm, who's I, that? He wasn't even mentioned in the, in the sentence from the goalie master. This is a guy that had, what, 39 wins in 53 games? That is... Ridiculous. If he plays 60, he's getting 45. 
he's, he, he's up there. I, it's a toss up between them, but I think Bobrovsky will have those Florida goalies. I like the good Bob take. The one thing I'll say, Davey, to kind of back your argument up a little bit is that Florida doesn't have a backup goalie. Sam Montembeau is not going to be challenging Bob for many starts. Whereas Curtis McElhaney in Tampa now, we saw what he did with Carolina last year where he kind of became a 1B goaltender. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Bassey this year, but Tampa Bay. It's more Bay, of a safety net. They know they right. can rely on him if they need, whereas I'm Florida. Just, it's at the point now where Tampa Bay doesn't have a lot to play for in the regular season, where Florida does. If they take away the emphasis at all on the regular season, Tampa Bay, even if their win total drops by 5 or 10, they're still going to be among the top teams in the league, and they can rest Vasilevsky. Remember we got into it a little bit with uh, Danny Boy Rosen last year, and Rosen was saying to uh, continue to start Vasilevsky. Kind of backfired. Yep. So they got to learn this time around, Tampa Bay. I, I remember going blow for blow with Uncle Dan, and I said, <laughs> don't you think they should sit Vassy? And Dan's like, no, ride him into the pine. Well, you ran him into the ground, and you got swept by the Blue Jackets in the first round. Besides those guys, who I want to know from you guys, who is your second-tier goalie where you're saying, yeah, he's not a he's not a one-through-five guy, but he's someone that I can rely on, that I can trust for my second goalie maybe, or if I don't get one of those top guys. I'm going to throw out Pekka Rene for the Nashville Predators as the surefire guy in Nashville. I would say, though, Pekka Rene is probably good for 30-plus wins, great peripherals, but that is a player if you draft as your number two goalie in fantasy or even your number one goalie in fantasy, just make sure you get UC Soros because I do believe, my gut's telling me, this is the year he's going to challenge Rene for some starts down the stretch. Along the lines of what Dave was saying with Bobrovsky, I think Bennington's going to start a ton of games for the Blues. They have among the fewest back-to-backs in the league. Absolutely no backup support behind him. And they're not, I mean, they're going to be running on fumes. They're going to be excited to play this season. No pressure. He's going to get 34 wins like we have him for by accident if he plays 60 games, and he might even get you more. So Bennington is a guy I've gone all over the place about, but I'm kind of turning the corner here a couple of weeks before the start of the season, and I'm liking his chances of getting in the high 30s and wins. For me, they're... I would. It's John Gibson. I know the Ducks may not be as good as other teams, but you saw how good this guy was last year. He wasn't getting the wins, but save percentage goals against. If they're only scoring two goals, it's hard to get those wins. But this year, they're much improved. He's going to slip in the people's minds just because of that. But he's a guy that I would I would certainly take if he's there at you know the tenth or eleventh goalie. I still think there's sneaky appeal to the Ducks. I still think Gibson has a thirty-five plus win season coming in the near future. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but this is bounce back city for him. I know our buddy Mike McKenna thought that it was crazy for you to say he has bounce back appeal because he had whatever high high save percentage, even though that team went off the rails. But yeah, the Anaheim Ducks have a high ceiling any given season just because of their goaltender who's top five in the league, I think, in reality. When looking at the goalies that we projected for at least 30 through 40 wins, Davey, who's a guy that you might be shying away from in drafts this year? We talked about Hellebuck already, so I'm not going to get into him again, but Philip Grubauer on Colorado, he, he just, he, I don't want to say he scares me a little bit, but he I think he played so well last year, and I don't know if he can get to that level again. Like I don't think he's going to get 30 wins, but I'd still take him as a number one, but I wouldn't mm. want him more than those other guys. And to me, Matt Murray with the Penguins, just 
I, I don't see it. They're going to be probably worse than last year. So he's got the injury problems. He's got 30 wins in the past, but I just, to me, he's a guy that I would pass on. I'm not seeing the Grubauer thing either. I, I do. I don't think you should draft him as your number one. I'd love to have him as a number two goalie in fantasy. I think if you take him as a number one, you have to ask yourself, has Philip Grubauer ever been a number one goalie in the NHL before? The clear answer is no. He's been behind Brain Holpe for the majority of his career. Then he was behind Semyon Varlamov right up until playoff time. I mean, from early February to the end of the season and into May, because they made the second round, he was the number one goalie. So he has been it before. He hasn't been it for a full season. That's the concern. I, I think I liked what I, I saw from Grubauer. I think he has the ability to translate it to 30-plus wins. I would bank on him for at least 30. Any higher than that is a risk, though, for sure. And now for a sleeper goalie that I like is Jacob Markstrom, Vancouver Canucks. That's just a team in general mm-hmm. that I think could surprise. Could It's in a division where there are some holes, too. Playoff spots up for grabs yep. out west. So I think Vancouver could make a nice little stretch. His 5-on-5 five five save percentage is very good. If their PK improves a little bit this year, too, it could be an even higher ceiling for Jacob Markstrom. I'm going to go off the board here with the Columbus Blue Jackets because if you get a good number one starting goalie and you miss that run and you need some goalies to fill out your team, I would go with, am I saying this right, Elvis Merzlikens? Right? Nice, very good, Elvis Merzlikens and, nice. and Jonas Corposalo because you don't mm. know who's going to start there, but those are the two guys. And the Blue Jackets are going to win some games. Are I they? Mean, they have to. A couple at least. <laughs> and these are two guys where you can get them very late. So if you want to focus your team on other areas, get one goalie. You can get those guys late. And I think they're going to surprise people. Merzlikens in particular, but both of them. You know who I would take a stab on as my third or fourth goalie if available? Either Robin Leonard or Corey Crawford. I would not trust either of them as my number two on my fantasy team. But I think there's some appeal in the Blackhawks. I think they're going to make the playoffs. The more we seem to talk about it as a group, the more we all like them. They're all in contract years. Uh, that goes for the forwards, too, to bring it. Uh, Ryan, uh, Dylan Strom. So, so much to like about that team. And I wonder if it could possibly translate to the goalies. Just one question for you, goalie master. How many goalies should I have on my fantasy team? You need to have, I think the perfect amount is three. But... I sometimes like to go four just because if there's an injury or if I want to trade someone, but five, like your other strategy, I know you were doing that on purpose or six, whatever it was, that's too many. Get three. If you're comfortable with your bench forwards defense, then you can take four, but three, I think is the perfect amount. Two starters, one handcuff or guy who could be number one and you're set. All right, Dave, three goalies it is for my fantasy team. So that'll do it for our projections episode. Now, please, not again, not to get too in-depth here, but we do read the reviews. We've seen a lot of funny ones lately. So don't think we're not reading them. We see them. Five-star reviews. Please keep them coming. And check out the new addition to the NHL Podcast Network. It's NHL at the Rink. Dan Rosen, our buddies, hosting it, did a great job with the first episode. I love the interviews with Kane. I love the one with uh, Jonathan March is so getting a little personal there. And then uh, we got Executive Suite back on track here, uh, start of the season. Hey, boys, Deb Placey, new episodes coming before the start of the season. We're running the gamut. We got Jim Nill, the Dallas Stars, Armstrong with the St. Louis Blues, Billy Guerin, Kyle Dubas, and the newly minted GM of the Seattle franchise, named 
to be released, Ronnie Francis, will all be released before the season starts. We got the odd number of teams right now in the league, but we got some labor peace, and we got a new team on the horizon in Seattle, so we're excited about that. So for Bob Bender, Davey Satriano, thanks again for joining us for the projections. Robbie Reese, Pete Jensen saying so long. Thanks again for listening to NHL Fantasy on Ice.